Hello, and welcome to the Terralex Insights podcast, where our goal is to present multicultural perspectives by leading professionals. These perspectives on contemporary issues will help lawyers and business people work better together. I'm your host, Terry Pepper Gavlik, Terralex's Chief Business Officer. And today I'm excited to be talking to Lisa Smith, who's a founder of Fairfax Associates and heads their Washington, D.C. office. And for those of you who may not know Fairfax, they are a specialist consulting firm that helps law firms and other professional service organizations design and successfully implement their strategies. And um, I, I liked something I saw on your website where it also said that you help them meet their aspirations. So I worked with Lisa, when she headed the law firm strategy practice group and was a vice president at Hildebrandt. And um, at that time, and even to this day, one of Lisa's uh, consulting areas where she has deep knowledge is in the area of law firm mergers. And that's what we're going to talk about primarily today. But I think we'll probably delve into some other subjects. So welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you very much, Terry. Happy to be here with you. Yeah, it's so nice to get to work together on something again. I, I always <laughs> love when I get to, to connect with my former colleagues. So um, just to get us started and to do a little more justice than what I did, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit more about your background and also about Fairfax Associates background and what the consulting focus is. So the stage will be set for our further discussion. Sure, absolutely. So this will be, I think, my 35th year of consulting to law firms. Um, so it's been a fairly long run and I've actually seen a lot of change in the industry over that period of time, not surprisingly. Um, and I started my career at Pricewaterhouse in the law firm consulting practice there, um, then moved to Hildebrandt where I was for 13 years. Um, and then for the last 10 years have, have, done, have been with Fairfax. Uh, we are fairly focused. Uh, we, we focus primarily on strategy, on mergers, on partnership issues like partner comp and on governance and management issues for law firms. And our clients are all sizes from boutiques, smaller boutique firms up to the largest firms in the world um, and is global. So we do work <clears throat> A lot of work with U.S.-based firms, but also work with with uh, a lot of firms outside the outside the U.S. as well. So we have perspective on sort of the range of issues that law firms face, sort of across the spectrum of of size, geography, practice, national, global, regional, local. Um, so uh, have seen it seen it all and over a fairly long period of time. Um, and certainly merger activity has been a focus uh, in part because it's picked up so much. And so mm. there's a lot of activity in that area. Well, yeah. So that was going to, that's a good um, starting point on talking about mergers. So it's interesting that it's picked up and I, um, I, I later in the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about actually how law firms make these mergers work because I did a little work in that area when I worked with you and I always found it very hit or miss. But uh, before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about what's driving the increase in merger activity. Any thoughts? I mean, is COVID accelerating or de decelerating any of these merger opportunities? Yeah, I, I think what's driving it is the market and the complexity of the market and the, the sort of globalization of clients, the complexity of the problems that clients face. Um, and a need for law firms to respond to that. And so we've seen quite a bit of consolidation, certainly among US firms, but we see it globally as well with, you know, within markets, across markets. So I think some, some of what we're, we're seeing is a need to really be responsive to clients um, and their needs, their complex, more complex needs, their more geographically diverse needs. 
um, and the, the need for firms to sort of step up their game, um, increase practice depth and breadth, increase sophistication, uh, increase their experience base, uh, and to really become differentiated. That's really what's driving a lot of this is the, the need to be sort of known for something um, and what that is can vary from firm to firm, um, but that really is at the core of a lot of the merger discussions that we're seeing uh, and, and certainly is a core part of the business case, which is what is the known for? How does the, how would a merger help the combined firm be known for more things, whether it is the geographic breadth or the practice depth um, or the client particular sectors that they're focused on. So all of those things are driving merger. Uh, I think the pandemic has, it, well, it, to some extent it slowed actual merger activity, but it has not slowed interest in mergers. So mm -hmm. we've seen interest pick up pretty dramatically. Um, we've seen the actual number of mergers drop just because of the logistical aspects of the pandemic. So, you know, it, while, while certainly in theory it's possible to, to do a virtual a merger entirely virtually, um, we do find that because these are partnerships, people do want to have some face-to-face -face meetings. And so, you know, a lot of the mergers that happened last year really happened based on discussions that had started pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. So they had had face-to-face -face discussions. Now we're starting to see more discussions taking place, but um, we actually are starting to see some in-person meetings happening as part of merger discussions because people do want to have that ability to, to make sure that these are, these are people that they want to be partners with. Um, so I think we'll see the pace pick up dramatically. But throughout this whole period, the interest has been very high. Uh, and I think uh, to some extent will continue to accelerate in part because of the comfort people have gained with virtual work throughout the pan pandemic, I think has actually helped with implementation of mergers. I think it's helped people connect more across geographies. Um, so I think that's actually breaking down some of the resistance to change um, that we've seen in prior discussions and breaks down the geographic barriers a bit. We know, and it's interesting because emerge often um, aligned with increases in mergers or merger interest is interest in joining a network as well, because that's yeah. one of the other strategic options. And so we have seen that same uptick as well, where we have a lot more firms around the world reaching out to me to see if we have membership openings where they are. So, but besides those two things, or maybe including those two things, a merger or joining a network, what are some of the other strategic growth options that firms are looking at right now? Well, certainly lateral hiring is a, a core of growth. Um, so, and you're right, the growth doesn't just mean merger. In fact, that's almost uh, the maybe least common <laughs> approach to, uh, to growth. Um, and, and so, it, you know, really starts with, with hiring, hiring lawyers, whether it's the associate level, the partner level, but, you know, we saw, we saw a pretty good level of lateral partner activity um, throughout the pandemic. Um, we've seen a real uptick in competition for associate talent right now. Um, the, there's salary uh, and, and bonus increases that are going crazy, particularly in the U.S. among really the top 100 or so firms. Um, and, and I think what's changed there is, is, again, this sort of geographic neutrality where firms are willing to hire talent without regard to where they may have an office. Um, so it's, it's kind of opened up where they're willing to hire from. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's changing the 
competitive landscape for firms that may be in geographies where they weren't seeing that kind of competition for talent. Now they're finding that their associates are being snapped up and their partners are being snapped up. Um, so that's that's certainly been an interesting development. Um, you know, I do think there are firms looking, you know, beyond mergers, certainly at networks and even sort of more creative approaches. There was one, um, there was an interesting announcement last week about a Verein that had been formed between Fidal in France and Luther in Germany. I saw that, yeah. Um, and I don't really know what it's all about because it's, but basically it's allowing those, the member firms um, to retain their independent brands in their own countries, but also creating a third organization um, where they'll collaborate. Um, and so that's uh, almost- Sounds like a network to me. <laughs> well, it does. It sounds exactly <laughs> like a network. So it's, um, so I'm not quite sure. It's almost like a hybrid of a network and a, and a, a sort of true Verein like a Denton's. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that evolves and if other member firms join join that. But um, you know, it, it's uh, so so I think we're seeing firms get more creative about those kinds of relationships, um, and you know, in addition to networks, also focusing more on best friends kinds of relationships uh, to see you know how, essentially how they can deliver broader a broader set of services to clients. So I'm going to ask you a leading question. I want to go back to Verines in a minute, but before that, I just have to ask this, and it's a leading question because you and I will know that we've discussed this before, and I've heard you talk about <laughs> it in your presentations, but I thought about it as you were saying something is, uh, is merger, for firms that want to have a merger, is merger, do you always recommend that they do go forward or are there times where it's not the best option? We, we often recommend against, <laughs> or against merger generally for some firms, but certainly against specific mergers. So uh, and part of that is just our framework for consulting, which is and some, somewhat influenced by the fact that we do not, we are a consulting firm, we do not charge premiums or success fees on, on our mergers. Um, so we're really focused on what, what the right deal is for a particular firm. Um, and you know, I'd say maybe one in 10 merger discussions turns into uh, an actual merger. And so we're more often advising against doing, doing a merger that isn't for the right reasons, isn't the right business case, isn't the right cultural fit, um, than we are advocating for mergers. So we, we really try to look at it from the perspective of what's best for both firms. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point for our listeners to take away from this. It's not always the right choice. And sometimes if you're too close to it, you can't be objective about whether it is or not. So it's good to get a third opinion. Well, and when we, opinion, see, we, stop, well, exactly. and we <laughs> see firms get caught up in the excitement of the deal and begin to lose sight of why are we really doing this? So yeah. or they, or firms will focus on the logistical aspects, governance, compensation, those kinds of things, and not so much on the business case. So it is important to balance the business case and the deal terms and deal structure. So you mentioned the Varines, and I'm not sure if everyone understands that, that, that particular structure. Maybe um, talk a little, some insights into some of the global firms and the Varines, and, and I know their strategies in some ways are similar and in some ways are completely different. <laughs> Right. And I think Verein is an interesting term. I really, it's the, the idea is that it's a holding company of, of independent business units um, that technically don't share profits, although there are certainly ways to share expenses and do joint ventures and things like that. Um, and But the, the firms that are in Verein's are hugely variable. I mean, it's anywhere from two business units in a Verein to 
you know, 60 or 70 different business units in a varine. Um, so, and it's some, some varines are for all intents and purposes, you know, completely integrated or present to the market as completely integrated others. That's not their business model. And they're, they're really functioning much more, I think, like a network um, than, than they are like a, an integrated firm um, and intentionally so. Um, so I think you do have a, a pretty wide range. And the reason that varines have come into favor is that it is a way to combine firms that may have different economic models, um, different accounting approaches. Um, and so it simplifies the merger process. Um, it does allow some autonomy to individual members. Um, although again, some firms have much less of that than others. Um, you know, and some are much more integrated than others. Uh, but but we are seeing sort of a move towards I think more of the the, the Varine model that is allowing more individual autonomy and is really sort of a common brand across a set of firms um, and you know does create incentives to refer work among the the member firms um, but you know it, it isn't even necessarily mandatory that it gets referred within the member firms. And I think we'll see more of that. It's, um, and of course the accounting firms are the ones that pioneered this approach um, and still essentially use this approach. So it is proven in other, in other industries. Um, and I think it's becoming more accepted in, in the law firm sector. Yeah, and speaking of the accounting firms, there's several of them trying to make inroads into the legal space. We've certainly been impacted by that and so have many of our members. What, what can you tell us about what you're seeing there? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's interesting. Of course, it's less of an issue in the U.S., although we do see it in the tax area. Um, but uh, certainly outside the U.S., it is. Uh, you know, this is the second cycle we've been through with this. The first one was, I think, in the late '90s, mm -hmm. uh, where where we saw the the accounting firms build up their legal practices, um, and now we're in that cycle again. I think probably this time to stay. Uh, and the, the, the legal services arms of the, of the big four are becoming significant firms in their own right. Um, and I've just been doing a series of client interviews for a, for a firm um, in an area that's where the accounting firms are competing for, for work. Um, and it's interesting that from the client perspective, in many instances, they don't differentiate quite as much between law firms and, and, the, and the legal arms of accounting firms, um, I think, as, as, the, as the law firms do. So they see it as a viable alternative to, to a law firm for certain, for certain areas. Of, of practice. So, um, so I think that, you know, I, I do think that'll continue to pick up steam. Um, they certainly have the, the resources to invest heavily in, in their legal practices. I think we just saw another, today there was an announcement of um, a group moving from a law firm to I think EY. Um, so, you know, we, we see continual lateral movement, although in both directions. And to be fair, sometimes those don't work out so well. And so we see we see lawyers leaving leaving accounting firms and going to, to law firms almost as much as we see in the other direction. So I think it'll be a continued competitive force over the, the next few years. And that again plays into the, the networks, it plays into the mergers because one of, <clears throat> one of the values that the accounting firms bring is their global network and their global reach. Um, and, and that's something that uh, you know, is, is harder for law firms, many law firms today to compete, compete in. Yeah, and, well, and they're looking for leading 
leading firms, which are typically members of the leading networks like Terralex and some of the right. others. So yeah, exactly. uh, it's an interesting new level of competition for membership for us, but um, bring it on. <laughs> well, and, it, and, it, and it creates some opportunities for, for the firms in your network to, yeah. to be able to go to compete against the, the big four and, and some of the other you know, big global operations. Yep, absolutely. So I, I said earlier on, I wanted to talk a little bit about the whole implementation and we've touched on it a little bit, but um, that was the area where I got to do a little bit of work when I was uh, a consultant at Hildebrandt was merger implementation. And I would say it is not for the faint of heart and <laughs> rife, with, rife with challenges. So it was interesting to hear that virtual working is actually making that a little bit easier, perhaps because people are you know, accustomed to that more and less change averse. But how often would you say, I mean, how, well, let me actually start with a different question. Typically, when someone's made a good strategic choice and they found a merger partner um, and they're you know, they announce their merger and they go forward. How long does it take to, would you say, just a rough ballpark till the, the firms are really integrated? It's pro- in reality, it's probably two years. Um, I think the first year is sort of the honeymoon phase and it's still, everything's still new and you, know, you can still refer to legacy this or legacy that, you know, and uh, we always advise firms after year one to stop using the term legacy and, and really just think about the, the new firm. Um, so I think in year two is where you really start to see people behave as, as one firm. Um, you've gotten past some of the initial hurdles, even some of the administrative hurdles that, that will pop up. Um, and then people are really more focused on opportunities and looking for practice opportunities to work together. So by, by the end of year two, uh, typically, the firm really has come together as one and are able to focus on really providing the broader services to clients and working together as one team um, if the merger has been implemented effectively. Uh, I think we do see some differences across mergers on how well they do that. Um, and some of that can relate to compensation incentives and practice management approaches. But um, by and large, by, by the end of two years, firms should have, should have integrated it relatively effectively. Do you ever see firms unmerge? <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, but <laughs> if it didn't work, do they just call it quits at some point? We have seen that a couple of times. We always warn people going into merger discussions that it's hard to unscramble the egg because if you've <laughs> done any kind of effective job at integration, it should be hard to unmerge. And if you've done a poor job of integration, it may be easier to unmerge, but it's probably why you're unmerging. Um, so yeah, we've seen a few that, that have split, split in two. Um, and, or yeah, more likely what happens is that people just begin to trickle out of the firm. Um, and ultimately there's really nobody left after, you know, after five or six years, you might find that none of the original people are left in the firm. I'd say that happens less often now because I think people are doing a, a more careful job of, of the due diligence and the business case. So I think we saw it more maybe a decade ago than, than we do now. So it's certainly interesting times for law firms looking at their strategic choices. You know, I think there's probably um, the whole notion of virtual working. And as firms are working through what their policies are going to be, if they're also in merger discussions, boy, that's got to be incredibly challenging as well. Even if it facilitates implementation, I can see where it would also be really difficult. So um, 
we're going to be watching this space really carefully. Any sort of parting words or last bit of advice for firms that might be thinking about merger as a strategic growth option for their firm? I, I think firms need to be very critical about why they would be looking at a merger and what the upside is and that they're solving the right problem. Because I think some firms look at it as a way to solve internal issues um, that you know, may or may not be solved as a merger or they're looking for somebody to make tough the tough business decisions. Um, and often what you find is that the grass is not always greener and the firm you may be talking to may have exactly the same issues. So are you just doubling up on the same issues versus actually solving them? So you definitely need to go in with your eyes open um, and, and really come into the merger with the best firm you can come into. So you've got to, some people think of it as cleaning up the firm in advance of a combination, but you know, you, you don't want to come in in a weak position. I think you do need to be very careful of, you know, what the, what the business case is from your own firm's perspective on why to do a merger. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, it, I, I, when you were saying that, for some reason, it reminded me of a firm I used to work for that had done a lot of mergers. And I used to have to sneak into like private rooms and airports to meet with potential merger candidates. It was very cloak and dagger back in the day. And so I, I always find it amazing now how free and open the the even the notion that a firm might be in discussions are in the media. You never would have seen that 15 years ago. Well, it is interesting because I think um, you know people are more willing to say, yeah, it's something we're considering. Um, they may not actually do a merger, but they certainly are considering it and willing to to meet with people and feel like even if even if it doesn't go forward, at least they've made a connection with another firm, another fellow leader. So I think there's much less resistance to being open about merger discussions than there used to be, for sure. I think that's a great development personally. All the cloak and dagger stuff just scared people because it always got out anyway. And people that worked for the firms were freaking out. And (laughs) yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And just as a reminder for our listeners, we've been speaking with Lisa Smith of Fairfax Associates. And we'll make sure that in the liner notes, we tell you how you can reach Lisa if you want to have a continued discussion or want to see if maybe her um, consulting firm might be of service to you if you're looking at your strategic growth options. And we really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Nice to um, have the chance to speak with your member firms.